We're going to read and meditate on God's Word this morning from Romans chapter 3, just a few verses there, Romans 3, verses 21 to 26. And some of you will probably recognize this as one of the key passages of, of the Reformation that sparked the Reformation of the church back in the 16th century. It was a, a passage that had a tremendous effect upon Martin Luther and his understanding of the gospel of what Christ has done for us through the shedding of His blood. And so we're going to focus our attention on this classic text this morning, Romans 3, 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We're going to end our reading of God's Word there this morning. Well, today is October 31. And a little over 500 years ago, on this very date, a very conscientious monk named Martin Luther unknowingly sparked a revolution in the church when he nailed a, a list of 95 disputes with the Roman Catholic Church, and he nailed those to a church door in the city of Wittenberg, Germany. He simply wanted to start a conversation. But news of his rebuke of the church's error, its wickedness, its superstition, spread like wildfire. And from that point on, the Reformation, the, the restoring of the church through the pure teaching of the Bible, has been changing the church, it's been changing the world ever since. But for many of us, even those of us who are members in a Reformed church, the Reformation might simply seem like an event of history that happened centuries ago. And we might assume that Luther's concerns in his day have very little to do with our concerns as 21st century Christians. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that assumption couldn't be further from the truth. Because Luther's main problem, the one that tormented him, the one that drove him to the Scriptures, his main problem was the problem of how a poor, miserable sinner like himself could be right with God, a God who is holy, a God who is perfect, a God who is utterly righteous. How could he, a sinner, be right with this God? Luther's problem was the problem that we all have, that by nature, from the moment we are conceived, we are objects of God's wrath on account of our sin. 
And so Luther in his day wanted an answer to a very important question. How can a holy God possibly love a sinner like me? Luther wanted to be near to God. He desperately wanted to know that that God was near to him. He wanted to experience God's love and God's forgiveness. About a week and a half ago, I had the privilege of, of speaking to our girls' club, the GEMS group, a little bit about Martin Luther and the Reformation. And I asked them that question. I said, how, have you, how many of you want to be near to God and know that God is near to you? And there wasn't a single hand in the room that wasn't raised. Because you see, this isn't just a theoretical question. It's not just a theological question. It's not even merely an adult question. It's a practical question. It's a real concern we all face in the courtroom of heaven over which God presides as chief justice. How can I be right with God? How can I be justified in His sight rather than found guilty? And the Roman church of Luther's youth had given him an answer to that question. And they said, Luther, you can be right with God. God will give you His grace if you do your very best to please Him. And so Luther was told that if he said many prayers to saints, if he attended Mass faithfully, if he gave money to the church to build large and fancy cathedrals, if he visited shrines and paid homage to relics, if he purchased indulgences and and starved his body, then maybe, perhaps, God would be pleased enough with him to give him grace. And that gave Luther no comfort at all. He had been told that the God that he encountered here in Romans chapter 3 is a righteous God who, by His righteousness, punishes every sinner who doesn't do enough good works to satisfy His law. But that message of works, that message of ultimate condemnation didn't motivate Luther to obey God. It didn't even motivate Luther to love God. Love God, Luther once said. Sometimes I hate Him. And then the Spirit of God opened his eyes to understand the true and the glorious meaning of Romans 3.21. That the righteousness of God that I just read about here is not the righteousness by which God condemns us. It's His righteousness that makes provision for our salvation through faith in Jesus. Luther discovered the good news of the gospel that God's saving righteousness is revealed in Jesus' crucifixion where His justice and His mercy met so that you and I can be right with God through faith, not through works. And so what we're going to discover this morning as we break this passage apart is that these verses are essential to our understanding of the gospel. They are essential if we are going to go home this morning and have assurance and comfort in our hearts. And to be sure, we encounter some big theological words here in these verses, words like righteousness and justification, propitiation, redemption, big words. 
But we're going to break them down this morning. We're going to try to understand something of their relationship to one another. And we're going to bask in the glory of the good news of the gospel this morning as we better understand how we can be justified, how we can be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The first thing Paul says here is that we are right with God. We are justified apart from the law. Look at verse 21 and verse 28. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. And then verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. If we're going to understand what Paul is saying here and what it means, we really need to go back and briefly follow his argument up to this point in the book of Romans. And in chapters 1 and 2 of this book, Paul plays the role of a prosecuting attorney. And he argues that all of us alike are guilty according to the perfect standard of God's law. If we measure up ourselves against the moral commandments of God, we are all guilty. All people in every place stand guilty in God's courtroom of having violated His law in every way. Paul's point here is that the law doesn't fill us with confidence before God. If the law does anything, it accuses us, it convicts us, it sentences us to death, not because it's not good, but because we haven't obeyed it. The first sight of God's law commands us, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind and your strength. But God says we can't do that apart from the work of God's Spirit, even as Christians the obedience that we can muster up is quite puny. Very often, we don't have a sincere yearning to be in God's house every Sunday. We don't study God's will and His Word as diligently as we should. We don't come together with Him to commune with Him in prayer as we should. And then there's the other side of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. How well have you done this week to follow that command? Have you perfectly searched out the needs of your neighbors above your own? Have you always used your tongues to build them up rather than to tear them down? You see where I'm going with this. I, I hardly need to continue. The law declares to us guilty as charged. The law passes down the sentence, guilty, worthy of death. And no matter how hard we might try, to be good moral people, we all fail to live up to God's perfect standard. And that's why Paul summarizes all of this in chapter 3, verse 20. He says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. No human being will be made right with God by obedience to the law, because through the law comes knowledge of our sin. It shows us all the ways that we have failed to match up to His perfect standard. And it's very important that we realize this, first of all, so that we aren't deceived into thinking that we can be righteous, that we could be acceptable before God 
even partly based on our obedience to the law. The gospel strips us of our pride. It removes our self-confidence. It takes away all the pretensions. And it shows us that if we're to be acceptable to the Father, it cannot be on account of our own righteousness. It must be on the basis of the righteousness of another. And that's Paul's second point, that our acceptance to God, our being right with Him, must be based on a righteousness that's revealed at the cross of Jesus Christ where God made a provision for sinners like you and me to be right with Him as the divine judge. And that's the marvelous truth that Paul unpacks in verses 22 to 25. And he says here that we are made right with God. We are declared righteous. We are declared just by grace through faith. Look with me at these verses beginning at verse 22. He says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's what's been manifested at the cross of Jesus. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Now again, Paul uses some big words here, some big theological terms that might scare us at first glance, but let's break them down together. Basically, the gospel of justification by grace through faith amounts to this. As I said, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of God's law. A guilty verdict has been handed down against us. The wages of sin is death, and the law cannot help us to be right with God. That's the bad news. The good news is this, that God stepped in, and He did what the law, weakened by sin, could not do. God, who's the judge of all, declares you and me to be righteous, to be just in His sight. He hands down, instead of a guilty verdict, He hands down a not guilty verdict because He, out of His love, has assigned to you and me the best defense attorney that has ever lived. Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, the one who has committed no sin in all of his life, the only man who has ever lived, who has ever kept God's commands perfectly, every single one of them, Jesus Christ, our defense lawyer, steps forward and with his arms outstretched to shield us from God's holy wrath, he takes our place on the cross. He takes our place when the death sentence is handed down for our sin. Judgment for sin still takes place. It must take place. And it did take place when God, out of His sheer love for sinners, put forward His own Son, Jesus Christ, as a propitiation by His blood. 
Well, the word propitiation is probably not a household term in your house. What does that mean? It simply means this, that Jesus' perfect death on the cross in our place as the once-for-all spotless sacrificial lamb, He appeases. He puts to rest. He covers over God's holy anger against our sin. That's what propitiation means. He appeases the wrath of God. He covers it over by His own perfect death on the cross. Our perfect defense attorney willingly puts Himself in our place, and He takes the penalty for our sin and transgression, and God accepts it. God accepts His sacrifice on our behalf. The precious priceless blood of God's Son was shed on your behalf, covering your sins on the seat of God's mercy in heaven. And all of this, Paul says, is a gift of pure grace. It comes to us not by something we have done or desired, but out of God's unmerited favor, undeserved favor, freely given without any regard for who you are or for what you have done. Paul says it's not a matter of how hard you've worked. It's not a matter of how moral a person you think you are. It is totally based on Christ's work for you. And that means that this great salvation, this redemption from sin and death, this new status that we have in life, of being righteous or just before God is never something that we can earn. It can only be received by the empty hands of faith. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that by the instrument of faith, which is not a good work of ours, it's simply the work of God in us, by the empty hands of faith we simply receive the gift of the complete and the eternal forgiveness of our sins accomplished by Jesus on the cross. And so now there is a delightful melody that rings in the ears of a believer. And it's not the melody guilty. It's the melody not guilty, but rather regarded as righteous in the sight of God, not because of who you are, not because of what you have done, totally and only because of what Christ has done for you. Brothers and sisters, that's the best news in the world. That's the best news you will ever hear. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the main hinge on which our faith turns, that you and I, by grace through faith, are clothed, we're wrapped, we're covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and because of that, we are forever eternally pleasing and beautiful in the sight of God. We will never be condemned for our sin. I love the way the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 60, answers this important question, how are we right with God? And it's worth turning to. I'd like you to turn in your hymnals to the back to page 882. 882. There's a Heidelberg Catechism, question 60. 
And it asks the very question that troubled Luther early on, the question that Romans 3 and the rest of Scripture answered for him and answers for us. The question, how are you right? How are you righteous before God? Listen to this glorious, rich answer, one that we should memorize and repeat to ourselves almost every day. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Listen to this. As if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart, which is also a gift from God. What a glorious, glorious message. That's truly good news. And by grace through faith in Christ, God now regards us as if we had never sinned nor been a sinner. Not only that, but that we are righteous, declared righteous in His sight, eternally acceptable. That's the good news of the gospel. And finally, Paul says very briefly that in this work of salvation, the character of God is most exalted and most glorified. Look at me at, at verses 25 and 26, the end of verse 25. Paul says, this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance or patience, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just, He might be righteous, and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. You see, by providing this work of redemption in Christ through this propitiation on the cross, the covering over of our sin, God demonstrated something there. God showed us something about who He is. He demonstrated the perfection and the glory of His own character, of His own nature as God. He was able to demonstrate both His mercy and His love and His justice and righteousness at the same time. It's very unfortunate that, that many modern evangelicals get the character of God wrong. We often hear from evangelical preachers that, that, that at the cross, God's love and His grace had to somehow overcome His standard of righteousness and justice in order to save us. That the cross, God had to somehow compromise His character, His righteousness, in order to show us grace at the cross. But that couldn't be further from the truth. And that's not good news either. Because a God who can compromise His character is not a God who can be trusted for anything, let alone our salvation. No, God didn't compromise His character one iota when He saved us. He remains, Paul says, both just 
and merciful. He's both righteous and the one who justifies sinners, declaring them to be righteous. He remains just in Himself because He actually made satisfaction for sin. His holiness was satisfied at the cross as Christ perfectly fulfilled the law in our place, and He died on the cross to pay the penalty for the sin. God's justice, His righteous standard wasn't lowered for a moment. He's also a merciful justifier of sinners because of what Jesus accomplished for us. Christ on the cross earned a righteousness, and He graciously credits it to us. God now actually regards us as worthy of His love for the sake of Jesus. And so you see, at the cross, God didn't compromise His justice for the sake of His love. He didn't compromise His righteousness for the sake of His mercy. At the cross, God's love and mercy met. At the cross, His righteousness and His mercy kissed. And the result is that we are accepted forever as children of God. We will never be condemned for our sin. We can always know the certainty and the comfort of this glorious truth. That's the truth that Martin Luther and so many reformers after him rediscovered for the church. And it's a message that's as true now as it ever was. Because what God says about you and me, what God says about sinners who trust and believe in Jesus Christ, never changes. And so the call of the gospel this morning comes out to you, brothers and sisters. Put your faith in Jesus Christ for the complete forgiveness of your sins. Don't put any more confidence in your obedience if you think that by your moral living you will somehow contribute or add to your right standing before God. On your good days, when obedience comes easily, when you feel that you are doing well before God, remember that such obedience does not make you more pleasing to Him. That obedience is simply evidence of His Holy Spirit in your life. And on your bad days, when it's hard to obey, when you are weak in the face of temptation, remember that you are just as pleasing in God's sight because of the obedience of Christ for you. Build your hope, build your life on nothing else than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, on this last day of October, as we have meditated on this wonderful portion of Your Word, we realize that we are no less in need of the gospel of Your grace than Martin Luther was on October 31, 1517, when he nailed up his 95 Theses. Until the day you return, O Lord, to make all things new, we will always need to be coming back to the gospel because we lose sight of the gospel so easily and we begin to put trust in our own obedience, our own works before you. And so on this Reformation Day 2021, 
We praise You for the unsearchable riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For through this gospel, we have discovered the depths of our need and the perfect provision for our need in a perfect righteousness which comes to us freely and fully by grace through faith. And we praise You, O God, for this good news. We thank You for Jesus. He is not just the giver of second chances. He is not merely a moral example for us to follow. And as sinners, we aren't in need of some spectacular religious experience or a new set of rules to obey. Oh no, Lord, we need Christ to live a life of perfect obedience for each of us as a substitute, as a second Adam. We need Him to fulfill all the demands of the law in our place for us. And we thank You, O Christ, that You have done this for us perfectly out of Your abounding love. O Jesus, we, we need You to take each of our places on the cross, to receive the punishment that we deserve for all the ways that we have fallen short of Your glory by breaking and ignoring and going beyond Your law by worshiping the idols of our hearts and the idols of our culture. We thank You that You sent Your Son to do that very thing, to hang on the cross in our place, to fully satisfy Your justice. We praise You, O God, that we no longer need to despair of our guilt. We don't need to remain in doubt about what You think about us. We know that You rejoice over us and we are free forever. We will never, ever be condemned for our sin if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And even this faith we can't take credit for, O oh Lord, because it's You who have enabled us to receive this gospel righteousness. This faith itself is a gift from You. And so on this Reformation Day, once again we affirm that our hope is built on nothing less, nothing more, nothing other than Your blood and Your righteousness. On You, Lord Jesus, the solid and saving rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Keep bringing us back to this gospel each and every day, O Lord, because it is the only good news to comfort our needy souls. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.